Welcome to this very special episode of Longest War, the post-9-11 veterans podcast. I'm Kevin Farkas, executive producer of the podcast, sitting in for Nick Grimes. In addition to hosting the podcast, Nick also emcees live storytelling events with post-9-11 veterans throughout the greater Pittsburgh region. The Veterans Breakfast Club started the post-9-11 veterans storytelling project to reach younger veterans who don't regularly attend VBC's weekday breakfast storytelling events. And as with VBC's morning programs, these evening storytelling events provide veterans with opportunities to tell their stories in their own words so that veterans, families, friends, and neighbors can be educated and inspired by them. In fact, we know that our storytelling programs are helping veterans heal from the trauma of military service, be it World War II or the global war on terror, our nation's longest war. The act of sharing our stories really does matter for veterans, of course, but also for the general public, which is always invited and welcome to our programs. Our storytelling programs reveal history directly from those who lived it, from the shores of Normandy to the Kandahar Valley. And as Rudyard Kipling said, if history were taught in the form of stories, it would never be forgotten. So enjoy this special episode of Longest War as we present a live recording of a recent veterans storytelling event hosted by VFW Post 694 in Dormont, Pennsylvania. And remember, if you like what you hear and believe that these stories need to be told and shared with the public, Please rate and review us on iTunes, SoundCloud, Blueberry, or your favorite podcast app. Your opinion really does matter to us. Hello, good evening. Welcome. I want to welcome everybody to Veterans of Foreign Wars, McCormick Dorman, Post 694. Our post is named after two World War I veterans who paid the ultimate sacrifice, and you'll see their photographs behind you uh, and uh, just underneath, I'm sorry, just on top of the World War I 100-year flag. My name's John DiLallo. I'm post commander. I'm a retired Air Force Master Sergeant and a Vietnam veteran. The photo that you see, that's the one. Now, I lied to you guys before. I had to check my security information. Uh, I told you that was my enlistment photo. I lied. That is actually my photograph after my first ride on the rocket sled. And now my very good friends from the Veterans Breakfast Club, your post 9-11 program director, Nick Grimes. Hey, thanks, John. So first off, I want to say we want to thank the uh, Jefferson Regional Foundation, the Heinz Endowments, for making all this possible. They are our flagship uh, funders for this. Uh, all right, so we've got a hard stop time tonight of 7.55 because the Pens game comes on at 8. Uh, the TV comes on, it'll cancel this out, and there's going to be a line of people at the door waiting to get in. So we'll get through this quickly. This is Todd, executive director, Veterans Breakfast Club. You all know him. If you don't know him, don't bother getting to know him. <laughs> Kevin Farkas, The Muscle. We are recording tonight. We are live streaming tonight. Am I missing anything? Uh, this is the enforcer, Marshall Gordon. I don't know where to go. There he is back there. Uh, <laughs> by the food, as always. Uh, I'm the looks of the organization, obviously. Uh, Lauren, where? there she is. Uh, Lauren is the newest member of our team. She's going to be a fellow with us with the Mission Continues starting in July through January-ish, uh, and then further after that. Uh, we have a podcast, Longest War, post-9-11 podcast. 
So uh, I guess it's a little misleading. We're going to start branching out to have veterans of other generations on there as well. So if you'd like to be on a podcast, uh, we would love to have you. If you don't know what a podcast is, it's like radio on the internet. It's really cool stuff. Uh, you can find it on iTunes, on our website, Blueberry, Android, all those cool places. This is a new newsletter. This will be in your mailboxes soon. If we don't have your address, please come and sign up. September 28th is our gala. It's our biggest fundraiser of the year. If you order by July 1st, you get $15 off the tickets. General admission, $75, $60 for veterans. Is it soldiers and sailors? Is that everything? September 28th. Lauren, there you are. Hi. I want to introduce you to everybody. So Lauren, uh, Navy? I think, do you guys think this is a better picture or the turkey-like one? Turkey, turkey like, for sure. Yeah. yeah, these pictures really blow, don't they? <laughs> these after boot camp pictures. <laughs> What'd you do in the Navy? I was a machinist mate. I worked in the boiler room. Um, for those of you who haven't heard my story, I do see some familiar faces here, which is pretty cool, because considering I'm new. But I call what's called a pit snipe. I worked eight decks below sea level uh, on two 600-ton boilers. I wore really heavy and hot gear like this a lot of the times training for uh, fire to fight fires, if that should ever happen on board. That's a, an OBA oxygen breathing apparatus that would supply me with oxygen in, in the event that I couldn't breathe. That's my ship, the USS Blue Ridge. In the back is Mount Fuji. We carried the Admiral. We were, at the time, the most sophisticated communication suite in the Navy. That's it. See, that Sweet. was easy. All right. Super quick tonight. Nice Thanks, to talk Laura. to you. Larry. <laughs> quick intro. There you go. Hello, my name's Larry Gamrit. I was asked to tell you about my adventures in basic training. So uh, it started out down at the federal building, downtown Pittsburgh. It was still there, you know, when I left. You don't look too happy to be in the Army there. No, I didn't. <laughs> I really wasn't. So prior to me being drafted, I had uh, attempted to join the Marines because I was a young punk, you know, and I could beat anybody up in my neighborhood. And I could probably get away with being a Marine, you know. They told me no. So, I, I don't know. They said I wasn't physically fit or whatever reason they come up with it. So, it was about a month later, I got the, the, the great notice telling me I was drafted. So, I went down to the federal building smiling, you know. The Marines don't want me. Damn sure it's enough the Army don't want me. So, I turned off my paperwork and everything, and then I saw a captain. He said, well, Mr. Gamrit, he says... Guess what? He said, you're drafted. <laughs> so that day, we did all the things that we needed to do to get in, the oath and all that other good stuff. Then, how many people remember the PNLE Railroad Station? Okay, it's a Grand Concourse restaurant now. And we went down there about one o'clock. We sat there until about nine o'clock that evening, waiting on a train. And then the train ride took us um, all night. We stopped in Washington, D.C., and we seen all the coffins, all the coffins from the guys coming back from Vietnam. You know, that wasn't too nice of a thing to see. And then we headed on the south into uh, uh, Fort Jackson. At that day, that was like Friday evening, all right? Nothing was happening really big and bad. You know, we thought we were really going to hear it, you know? And nothing happened. They showed us how to make our bed, by the way, and they gave us all a quarter to make sure it bounced off the bed, right? And then Saturday morning, nothing happened. Oh, gee, you know, this army thing can't be too bad, right? <laughs> and then we went all day Saturday and all day Sunday with the same thing. And then Monday morning at 5 o'clock, they were looking for KP. They were looking for everything, you know. 
and and these drill sergeants come in here and they start hammering on us. <laughs> and uh, so that day we did our haircuts. We did our. Um, did, you, did you have long hippie hair when you went in there? Did you have long hair to your shoulders when yes, you walked I did. in? And they shaved it right off, huh? <laughs> I, I I cannot go with long hair anymore ever since I left the army. Ruins of it. <laughs> and uh, what was funny about it was that. Um, we did this all day, and then we went into the funniest, one of the funniest things that happened, we went into, I don't know if you still do Morse code or not. So they come up with this dot dash thing, you know. And I said, dot dash what, you know. I really didn't understand it. So I just dot dash, you know. And I figured, you know, if they believe what I told them, you know, you know, <laughs> they're, they're never going to let me, you know, they're never going to let me stay in this army, you know. And, and believe it or not, I passed it. I passed this thing. I said, how could I pass that? I don't even know what dot dash means. You know? And so at that time we went and uh, we got our clothes issue and we got everything. And so on Tuesday, the next day, we went up to what they call Boot Hill uh, in North Carolina. These were the old World War II barracks. And we had our, uh, our packs, you know, our, back, our duffel bags and the drill sergeants gave us something like, I don't remember how many minutes it was, but we had to carry these duffel bags up the stairs, put them on our bed in certain amount of seconds or minutes. Well, nobody succeeded. You know, we all thought we were pretty tough guys. It takes weight about 50 pounds, yeah. And then back down again, back up again, back down again, back up again. And so they finally got tired of playing with us. They told us we had to crawl under the barracks. So it was, it was on stilts, by the way. Nobody bothered to tell me there was a center beam in there. I had one of those uh, helmet liners on. So I was really going to impress these guys. I could do it, you know. So I went under there 100 mile an hour, and I, I banged my head into the center beam. And the drill sergeant pulled me out by my leg, you know. He said, he started chewing my, you know, yelling in my face, telling me, what are you stupid or what, are you this or you that? And I said, oh, my goodness, you know. I said, I'm ready to go home right now. <laughs> I'm ready to go home. So that went on. Now, what was really ironic about it was that the drill sergeant that I had, Sergeant Valerie, he was a field first sergeant. And believe it or not, he was part of the silent drill team in the Marine Corps. Now, I don't know if you know anything about them guys. You don't even look at them crooked. You know, and he could do 10 push-ups with one arm. The motto was more sweat and less blood is what the whole thing amounted to. And we went, we went and did all that. We went running. We had to run a mile every morning. That's at 6 o'clock in the morning. And then all night, if anybody said anything, you know, when your mattress was made and your bed was made and you were all tucked in, then what you got to do is kick your feet under those covers without pulling them, out, pulling them out of the covers. And if anybody pulled them out of the covers, then you had to get back up in your underwear and run around the battalion. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know what the Army is like today. But I, I know somebody told me it's a lot better. Yeah, they didn't have us in our underwear. They at least let us put shoes on. And then uh, they sent us down to the mess hall, and you had to do what they call the overhead bars. We had to do all of them. And if they didn't like you because you said something, you had to do the dying cockroach. So then you lay down on the ground like a dead cockroach. They still got that. They still got that? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Where you lay on the ground with your hands and your legs in the air like a dead cockroach, like just like it sounds, until they get tired of watching you do it. It's horrible. How many times did they make you do that? Well, they got me twice. <laughs>
Now decided I didn't want to be a dead cockroach no more. <laughs> then we went into the mess hall. They give you the good old silver trays with the good old mash, you know, whatever. Then you would go back into the dining facility, as they call it now. And then uh, the officers had their own facility behind you. And every time they would come in, you had to stand to attention. You had to stand to attention and stop eating. Then they would tell you after you did that that the meal's over here on your way out. You didn't even eat your food. Nah. And then uh, one fella, he, I forget what his name was now, he kept looking around and the drill sergeant caught him. So he took his tray and he put it right on his chest. And he had a furnace. He had a furnace and there was a grill on it. And he told him to look into this grill and tell him what he'd seen in there. And, and they kept asking him, you know, what he was saying. He kept telling him, nothing drill sergeant, nothing drill sergeant. And, and, and you know, they, all, 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 everything I hear about the Army today, I wish I could go back in again and do it today. Because these guys didn't fool around, yeah? The drill sergeants, they still have those games, right? I remember the worst trouble I got in at basic training is, like, the one thing, and I think everybody will test it, it's like, you, you don't laugh, right? If you laugh, you become a target. And we're standing in formation, and somebody said something. And the drill sergeant said, you guys keep playing around. I've got more games than Milton effing Bradley. And I thought that was hilarious, and I couldn't help it. I started laughing, and I paid for it dearly. What is, uh, what's this? What are you doing here? This, this would have been uh, what our, our, our thing here was in the old war days, I guess, you crawled under barbed wire, and they fired at you. They fired actual rounds over your head. They, they, they fired live rounds. They fired, well, you know, little sandbag things that were... Explosives, all right? It's like half stick of dynamite, something like that? Yeah. Yeah, yeah I still do that. And uh, we, we crawled out of the, remember the World War I foxholes? Or, you know, the trenches? They had yeah. us crawl up over. I don't even know they still do that or not. We had to crawl up over that with our backpacks, full backpacks on. And we had to crawl under all that barbed wire. And they were shooting tracer rounds over our head. Live tracer rounds with 50 caliber yeah. machine guns. And, and, and if they seen you lift your head up, they would check fire. Then they come out and put it, I'll tell you what, you don't even know what they were telling you. You know, because you, you definitely could get hurt. And we did all that. This. Do anything with the flamethrower. They didn't teach us that thing. In Vietnam, I had seen napalm go off, you know, within a, within a distance of me. And I had a suntan. And I was a couple miles away from it. <laughs> That's how hot it was. How many people in basic training got to shoot the flamethrower? Well, that would be advanced infantry. Advanced infantry, that's where they trained at. Then I went from basic training into airborne, all right? They didn't, uh, they don't trust millennials with the flamethrowers anymore. We did not get to do that. No, well, and I'm supremely jealous because that looks awesome. I want that. Like, guns are cool, but like, guns that cold. shoot flames are way cooler, right? That's against the Geneva Convention. Cruel and unusual punishment. I guess to let us play with it. Well... I fought an old bazooka one time. In training? Yeah, and we fired it out in the range, and it hit a rock, all right, and shot up in the air and started coming back at us. <laughs> and, I'll pass uh, on that. You talk about ducking. We, were that, we didn't know where it was going to hit, you know, because so, they had a rotten head on them, all right, and, and it, it was very easy to have them, re, you know, deflect off something, a rock or anything. Then I fired the, uh, what they call the law rocket. Yeah. That was a little bit better, you know, went through the rock. So this here, this is pretty fancy. You guys got tents? Now, this is the bivouac. We didn't get tents. This is we the bivouac. We went out there. on a bivouac for three days. 
All right, and uh, the training there was to learn how to handle yourself, you know, cook your own food and do all the basic things that you would normally do in a battlefield. Because we were still training for World War II, I think. Sure. What was funny about that was the commander, the company commander said, when you go to sleep, you put your rifle in such a position and you will not let anybody take it off you. And then what they would do, come around at night and try to take it off you. Now, I don't know if anybody remembers the M14. It was 14 pods and it had a steel butt on it. So I was sleeping and I seen this hand coming in to try to get my rifle. What you were supposed to tell the cap, whoever was doing it, was, you know, hope that I know you, you know what you're going to do. They never told us that. So I took the butt of the rifle and hit the individual in the head. <laughs> and, and it happened to be the company commander. <laughs> so... He grabbed me by the leg, and it, and it took three drill charges to get him off me. <laughs> and he was screaming and hollering and yelling, you know, and, and everything else. And, you know, I was ready to run out. To, you know, if I could have found a way home, I would have been gone, yeah, after this guy got me. And then uh, basically what happened was the way that works, if you see your hand coming here trying to steal your weapon, then you would you know, say, say, halt, you know. But nobody bothered to tell us that, so I figured... I'll just do it my way, you know, and I'll just smack this guy in the head. <laughs> and now, this was a funny picture here because we were doing first aid thing, you know, how to carry a, uh, a wounded soldier. He's doing it wrong. That's not. Is that yeah. how they taught you to carry, guys? Yeah. That guy, there. Are... We've advanced a lot in the last 30 years. Yeah. There's way more effective ways to carry people than that. Yeah. They, uh, see, there's the one guy right over there. And his name was Agnew, all right? He was 200 pounds when he went in, or when he got out, he was only 130. So think about that. You've got your face circled there, that's you, and I notice you have that same look on your face that you have in every other picture. So you're uh, still not thrilled to be there. The guy, two down from you, he looks like he's thrilled. He's having a blast. Yeah, they they all think that's pretty funny, you know, until after they start beating on you. (laughs) But uh, this is odd. Now, you've got to remember now in North Carolina, it was like 90 degrees. And we were sweating, and there were fruit flies all over our head. And, and you, know, you name it, they had it. And we weren't allowed to run when it was 90 degrees, and we were running. Yeah, I don't think you could do that in the Army today. Huh? That's what I was told anyway. But uh, we, we learned how to do first aid, how to carry, you know, wounded soldiers and everything else. And uh, I couldn't pick this one guy. They gave me Agnew, that 200-pound guy to pick up, yeah? And I couldn't pick Agnew. I was lucky I could pick myself up. <laughs> and, uh so what happened was the drill sergeant come over, and he was the Marine, the Marine I was telling you about. So he picked me up, show you how this is done, you know. So he picked me up in the air, put me over his shoulders, and he looked in my face, and he said, what the hell am I holding you for? And he threw me down on the ground. <laughs> I said, now I'm wounded. <laughs> Where's the hospital at? There was a heck of a lot of funny stuff that went on. Then we had uh, outhouses, all right, with two doors, you know, back and in front. One guy, I don't know what he did, but they made him hold his rifle up over his head. And he had to run and jump up over the, you know, the toilet bowls, yelling that he was a shit bird. <laughs> he went around there about 20 times. He just kept saying, oh, when was this going to quit? And he said, when we decide going to quit. And then another guy, this was a great picture, too, because that's when we found out what it was like to have, um, what do you call it, tear gas. They put us in a room full of tear gas. They made us take our mask off. When they made you take your mask off, what, what did you have to do 
uh, before you could get out of the gas chamber? Nothing. They just let you go? Suffer. You suffered. <laughs> oh, it's changed. They make you now, well, when I was there in 03, the only, the only you make thing you that spell they your name phonetically backwards. I don't know how to do that forwards, much less backwards. So you're well, in there for what like they a good did five is they, minutes. They gassed us, then they brought us outside, and then he told us to take the mask. Honest to God, I thought, I, thought I, my, I put my face in a fire. You know, that's how hot it was. And it does it the train back then, all right? And we were told that it was even worse than that during World War II, all right? It's worse than that now. At Fort Knox, uh, they have a big oak tree, like four feet outside the door when you leave. So when people go running out of there and slam face first into that oak tree, there would just be a pile of guys laying on the ground around it. So then I learned how to be uh, a good instructor, all right? Uh, my friend Agnew, he was um, 200 and some pounds. My job was when we were out running, you know, in the field, so I had to go up behind Agnew because he, you know, he couldn't run very well. And you ever get a boot, side kick boot of your boot? That's what he did that, all right? And I had to make Agnew run. So every time he would slow down, I'd give him a swift kick in the behind and make him go. <laughs> and, uh, you know, that's the way he did that, you know. And I'm thinking to myself, why well, I hope Agnew doesn't get slim and trim and come back and beat my head in. You know, for what I had to do to this guy, you know. But, but he did get down to 130 pounds when he left. And this drill sergeant we had, Valerie, his name was, he did not crack a smile from day one until the day we left. And the last thing he said to me when I was leaving, you know, boot camp, he told me that my pants weren't tailored right. That was the last thing he told me. That was, a, that was your big send-off? Your pants are jacked up. Get out of here. Yeah. Nice. Was, you know, that was the khakis. What's, uh, what's going on here? I noticed that none of you guys are even sweating. This, this was what an is, everyday uh, affair. Push-ups. Push-ups. Sit-ups. We had the PT or physical therapy. Every physical therapy? Yeah, yeah. That's, <laughs> that's, that's, that's what, what PT stands for? <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I can do it still at the VA once in a while. <laughs> But uh, this is something we did every day. Every morning at 6 o'clock, we did run around the battalion, all right? Remember when Kennedy used to run a mile? President Kennedy? No, no, I was not born then. No. Uh, <laughs> well, that was his game, all right? So we had to do what the president did. So last question for you. How many push-ups can you do now? Me? I'm lucky I can even get up one. <laughs> Matter of fact, uh, the best I could do... Back in was 10, all right? That's the best you could do was 10? Yeah, that's it. And, and then, you know, we had, to, we had to sneak them in there every once in a while. The drill sergeants would tell you if you challenged them, and one guy did, and he did not realize that this drill sergeant could do 20 with one arm. So the guy, after he challenged him, he made this guy do it with two arms. He had to do 30. And before, before it was over, he was laying on the ground completely destroyed. Completely destroyed. You know, they picked him up, put him up on his two feet, and told him to shut up. You know, they put him on KP for a little while. <laughs> well, hey, thanks, Larry. Appreciate your share. Hey, Ke Kevin, you real quick. I want to contrast that story with your Navy basic training experience in the 80s. How many flamethrowers did you get to shoot in the Navy? I didn't shoot anything, period. Never, never fired a gun, weapon, anything. Never even got issued dog tags. So if you remember back in the 80s, right, this was what the Navy had a slogan that said, Navy, not just in a, a job, it's an adventure. No, it was a job. 
We went to work. We came back. No one thanked us for our service. You know, it was just an employment sort of thing, really. So I went to boot camp in December 1st. So I was there December and January in Great Lakes. It was one of the coldest winters around. Man, was it cold. So, you know, we marched from our barracks out to the grinder to some schoolhouse or something and then back again, maybe to the PT place. So we didn't get to do all the fun stuff like a gas chamber or outdoor shooting or anything like that. Because so, it was too cold. It was just really too cold. Yeah. Hear that, John? It was way too cold. Me and John were stationed in Fort Drum, New York, uh, <laughs> basically the Arctic Circle. Yeah. So I, one of the weirdest things I was telling Nick earlier, it's kind of gross, but everyone eating, right? So, in, so we're in the barracks, you know, and it's warm. The steam heat, all Navy bases have steam heat for some reason, about 110 degrees in there. We go outside, and you go from, from the warm to the cold, your nose starts to run, right? So we're out on the grinder, and of course, you know, boot camp, everything's really rigid, and you get yelled at if you moved out of the line or anything. So we all had snot. I mean, you know, our nose would run, so snot would be like we'd have to reach up, wipe our, our snot, and wipe it on our clothes, you know, because it was just so cold. And everybody had these terrible snot streaks on their pants and on their pea coats. I mean, it just sounds terrible, but that was just how we dealt with it in the winter. Big, can I, lots of can snot I ask a question? Because I was in the Navy. Are you sure you were in the Navy? You didn't have to go to a gas chamber? I was in Great Lakes, and I had to do that. Well, yeah, but you heard yeah. it was really cold outside, yeah. so... <laughs> it was cold. You must, you must have been in, the, like, the JV Navy or something, <laughs> Kevin. Well, <laughs> no, it was a... Let's be real. Like, it was Cold War era. It kind of was, right? Yeah, like, it, yeah, it was... Yeah, no, no I, you know, so I, I started to talk about how it was really just a job back then, and it was, you know, vocational and training, and... It was very much a vocational kind of experience that I had in the service. You know, we were, there wasn't a war. We weren't training for, for anything like that. So I, tell you, so I was in my A school. and It what, did crank out studs, though. Look at this guy. Yeah, look at that. <laughs> that had nothing to do with my Navy experience, though, really. So about, uh, when I got out of the Navy, I still wanted to travel because I'd been to like 23 countries. And, you know, I had this travel bug. So I said, ah, what am I going to do? So I walked the Appalachian Trail after I got out. And so this was shortly after I got out or... When, no, did, this is during. when did Richard Simmons give you those shorts? Uh, I, I, he got those from me. He got those from actually, you. Yeah. <laughs> so this, you know, everything I owned was on my backpack. And so I actually I went down for a visit uh, uh, close to the end of the trail here. And I still I met somebody. And, you know, you know how that goes, right? So um, I, I went all around Manhattan on a tour boat dressed like this. So I'm not proud of that. Making America proud. And you met a woman dressed like that? No, not dressed like that. Oh, okay. That, he that dressed like this after With that he met beard the woman. and those shorts, I would have been on you like white on rice. <laughs> <laughs> that is an embarrassing picture. Where did you get nah. that? My goodness. Oh, you're a stud, man. I uh, have a, you got a gnarly beard. Good beard there Sweet happening. Sweet shorts. Yeah. Very slender, cool I'll tell you. Yeah, that was happening, I guess. Yeah. Different time, though, huh? Different time, yeah. I do want to say this. So um, when I was in A school... Uh, Drunken stupor, some Saturday morning, one of my buddies says, hey, let's go try to shoot a gun and get a medal. And I was like, what? what? Well, so you had to have like 10 bucks. You went down to this range. You paid for the ammunition. Some guy gave you this old World War II 38 pistol. And so I grew up hunting, right? I had a presidential sports award with marksmanship when I was a kid. So I knew how to shoot a gun. So I took this pistol. I shot. It shoots over here. I shot again. It shoots down here. I said, I'll figure this out. So I aimed that baby, and I got it in there. Damn near a perfect score. So I got an expert pistol, metal. But you had on, to pay for alert. the ammo. You're I had to, your, I had to pay for it. I had to pay for the ammunition. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was, uh, it was an austere, so austere maybe, budget back then. So maybe, that money. maybe I didn't need that boot camp 
a rifleman training or whatever they did. I don't know. Oh, you were already a sharpshooter. I'm a sharpshooter, yeah. There you go. Yeah, so it worked out. So that's my story. All right, thanks, Kev. We're going we're, we're gonna to get to the Marines. Uh, so I just want to mention this photo again. I was thinking about this the other day. Like, uh, you know, you do awesome stuff in the military. You feel like a badass. But no matter what you've done, you will never be as badass as 20-year-old Marshall Gordon right here. This dude is an absolute stone-cold killer. Right, Marshall? Single-handedly into the Korean War. Chinese saw this picture and said, no, nah, I don't want none of that. <laughs> Pete, who's this stud right here? Okay. I don't know. I don't have too many funny stories because mine was all serious business because little did we realize that we were cannon fodder because within a short period of time, we were going to war. We was dead serious. I had training with the Civilian Conservation Corps. No guns, just marching and regular drills. Other than that, why, I was a cabinet maker before I went in, so they put me to diesel engine school. So I, I wound up as a chief motor machinist mate in, on an LST. We took an LST over to, England, over to uh, the Mediterranean and was going to invade southern France. No, I beg your pardon, we was going to invade Sicily. We started in and had a couple of general patents ducks and before we were on our way in why well, they said well open the, the doors and then the ramp and then they would just fly off well there was too much equipment so it went down and went a deep six never did get it back but anyhow we got sunk there and we come back and got another one and we just got over there just in time for d-day we was in the middle of everything in d-day and we made 12 trips back and forth getting equipment and bringing wounded back so we uh we got caught in a storm and after 12 trips why we uh had to go into dry dock to get a new shaft put on so we got a new shaft put on and we got ready to go back to normandy and they says no you're not going back to normandy you're going back to southern france so we invaded southern france now this is all the lsts remember so much said, and so many people were on these LSTs. It's amazing. I was recently down in, in Florida, and I was at a big uh, ex exhibition. Do you know there were soldiers, sailors, everybody? Not a one LST was on there, and there was a thousand of them putting all over the world. Thank you, and boy, what a good time I had. We had somebody mention an LST at the last post 9-11 event, and some of the young guys didn't know. They thought he was saying LSD. They'd never heard of an LST before. Can you explain to the folks what an LST is? But an LST is a landing ship tank, and it's capable of carrying 12 General Sherman tanks in the tank deck. Plus, you'll see in some of these uh, displays why... We could, we could carry a, an LCT, which is about 125 feet long, on the top side. And, in, and we took it over, and in order to get rid of that off the top side, you had to take some of the ballast 
off at the opposite side, would lift it up, and it slid right off into the water. No problem whatsoever. And we was capable of carrying over a hundred sailors or soldiers who were wounded. I have a photo of, of a tank deck with six rows of soldiers lined up the full length. They was almost breathing together on the same, they were so close. Uh, and it was 200 feet long. So there must have been at least 50 or more in a row. And man, you want to see the tears growing. That's about all they're good for. But then we have, we are capable of carrying two small boats, the LCVP, landing ship vehicle complaint. And they would be the actual barges that hit the beach. We wouldn't hit the beach until later on because we needed clearance. If you would notice there, if, see it somewhere along the line, there's LSTs have two anchors, one in each of the front and this back. It's estimated you take about 200 feet from the beach and you drop the stern anchor. Then you hit the beach and you unload it and you pull up on the rear anchor cable and that would draw you off the beach because you didn't have too much weight on. And then back again, do it same, ferrying all the time. We was caught in what was known as slapped in sands. If that information would have gotten out that these four or five LSTs were sunk right along England, there would be a much delay and if the enemy got that information, consequently, there was two, two officers who was at a, at a beer joint, and they started talking about it. The next morning, they were shipped back to the United States and demoted and discharged from the service. That's what an LST was for? Oh, wow, so look at that. So this is that's, you and your wife. That's so amazing. you were... That's the first ship you were on sunk, and you came back on survivor's leave, right? Yes. How did you spend your survivor's leave? Right there. We, we got <laughs> married. We got married in 1940, 1942. And uh, what, what did your wife do? What was her job at the time? She uh, sewed parachutes down in Fort Pitt Bedding. We got married right then, and uh, my wife re recently passed away had a beautiful wife, and we were married for 71 years. Wow. Uh, right now, I'm living right down the road at a assisted living, and it's fantastic. Hey, thanks, Pete, so much for sharing. Jeff, where you at? We need to get a Marine in, in tonight. Jeff was an MP. Boo, I'll just say on all of our behalf. You trained Afghan soldiers, police. Uh, they're basically children, right? Yeah, I, I worked with, uh, I guess the correct term is mentored Afghan police forces, both local and uh, national. But they're kind of children. But until the bullets start flying, then I'd rather have them than a lot of Marines. How long was your tour? 
Nine months. And you spend the whole time training? About eight, eight and a half months of that. Okay, so, uh, like, so what, what kind of shape were these guys in when you would get them? Like, what, how, how far progressed along their, their skills were they? Uh, first half of my deployment, the guys that I were with, they were national police, and they were not from the area, and they were all five years, at least, experience. So they were pretty good. They were easy to, and, easy uh, to mold. I was a Lance Corporal at the time, and they all had two or three stripes on their shoulders, and they saw that I only had one. So they're making fun of me. So I took my stripe off, and my name was Commander Jeff after that. <laughs> so we were talking earlier about uh, how late to everything these guys are. Can you explain like this theory or this idea of inshallah? They don't really have a sense of urgency, and they don't really wear watches. So it just it'll happen when it happens. But every day it's progression. So like for us, progression is boot camp. You're nothing, and then you're a marine. In three months. For me, three months is, all right, these guys showed up in time this week. Next week, they show up with their boots on. The week after that, they show up with their boots on and they're tied. And then two weeks later, maybe they have the rest of their uniform on. So, so it's constant progress. That's something to be proud of. We tried to. So speaking of boot camp, uh, what, what's Marine Corps boot camp like? <laughs> Movie Full Metal Jacket? I mean, it's pretty close still. There's a lot of screaming, I imagine. A lot of yelling. Yeah, unless it's time for you not to be punished, then they just make you be silent when they punish you. <laughs> so what, what made you, uh, or why did you decide to join the Marines? Uh, I talked to a Marine recruiter in high school, and I was like, you know, I want to go to college. You know, what options are there for the Marine Corps? And he said, none, active duty infantry. And I was like, later. So I went to <laughs> Shippensburg University, where he's alumni also, and did ROTC there. And they offered me like a three-year scholarship and a lot of money. And then I was like, I can't do this. And called a Marine recruiter and swore in the next day, because I'm that bright, I guess. And why MP? You just wanted well, people to hate you? I was, yeah. I was going to school for criminal justice. And I wanted to join the reserves. And I was like, is MP a thing in the reserves? And they're like, yeah, there's one in Pittsburgh four hours away. I was like, I got to drive there every month four hours. And they're like, yeah. I was like, sign me up. <laughs> so that's how that ended. How, how long is it until like the craziness begins? Like, is it like the arm where you step off the bus and there's people yelling uh, at you? Before you even get off the bus. They, they come on the bus. They and, come on the bus. They get you, you off the bus. The first weeks, you think it's bad, but it's like not bad until your real drill instructors show up. And then it and it's they're just real, like real hold, holdover drill sergeants at the beginning phase. Correct. Right? Did you have anybody that was like, I made a mistake, guys. I shouldn't yes. be here. How did how was that handled? Brilliantly. Yeah. He uh <laughs> I mean I feel bad for the guy, honestly. He Do you? they made him the guide right away. And he he had some sort of mental thing going on. <laughs> he looked like Napoleon Dynamite, but I'm, not, I'm pretty sure he had fetal alcohol syndrome. <laughs> they're yelling for him, and the real drill instructors get there, and they're like, God, come here. And I'm like, that's you, bro. <laughs> and the drill instructors are messing with He's like, are you ready to be a Marine yet? And he goes, sir, this recruit doesn't think he's ready to be a recruit yet, sir. <laughs> and the drill instructor's like, he took his hat off, put his hand on his back and said, I think you're right, man. Follow me in my office. <laughs> We're going to have a talk with your recruiter. Did they let him go? Did he say? Yeah. Oh, they he, put him out? Yeah, he was not oh. Marine Corps material. Man, we had a guy, so it was like day three or four, we're going to get fitted for our, uh, like our, our boots, right? We're still wearing PTs at the time. And this dude, he raises his hand, he goes, Drill Sergeant, I think I made a terrible mistake. And Drill Sergeant starts laughing, he goes, sounds like you did, bud. 
<laughs> it's going to be a long nine weeks for you. Like, they didn't, they didn't let him go, though. They just, like, punished him for nine straight weeks. <laughs> After basic, you go to your, like, uh, I don't know, what do you call it, the Marines, like, AIT? You're, you're supposed to go to either Marine com combat training or infantry training and then after that your MOS but I was in a weird program so I did that like two years later. Is it the same kind of environment or is it like a little more low-key? For me it was awful because I went to boot camp then I went to school for two semesters then I went to my MOS school then I went to school but then I went after being in for two or three years to marine combat training and it was worse than boot camp. I really? Because I was a Lance Corporal and I got called private the whole time and it just wasn't used to be treated like a recruit again, but yeah. Well, you enjoyed it, right? No. No? No. I mean, even the machine guns and the AT4 stuff, like, it's, they still make it not fun. It's hard to, that's hard to do. It's hard to make machine guns it not is. fun. The shooty flamethrowers? No. No? Man, I'm so jealous of no, that. Yeah. Uh, so, like, did you, did you keep that in mind when you were training the Afghan soldiers? Did you remember how just it sucked to be treated like an idiot, so you tried to be cool with them? Yeah, and then you see stuff on the news, and everybody's telling you, you know, watch out for these guys. They're going to shoot you in your sleep. And it's like, yeah, they will if you treat them like a Marine. Like, because Marines don't <laughs> treat Marines very nicely. So I had to keep telling, like, the people in, uh, like above me, like my corporals and sergeants, like, hey, you can't treat the Afghans like Marines because they're going to shoot you because they don't care. <laughs> So you just have to treat them like Afghans, you know, like children. That's awesome. Children hey. of guns. <laughs> Thanks so much, man. Appreciate Thanks. it, brother. Susan. My husband really is more interesting than I am, I promise. Well, this week we got two more minutes. Okay. So if we can suffer through that. Yes. You were in the Army. Mm-hmm. Why? Uh, ooh. I was in high school and a recruiter called me and I said, no way. And I said, tell me more. And they told me more. And um, I decided that that's what was for me. Um, so I went and I joined the Army. To do what? What did you want to do? Uh, surgical tech. That's pretty cool. You learned a skill. Yes. It was very cool. Uh, how was, what, was, what was the female basic training experience like? Ooh. Um, I feel like that's not a fair question to ask because I feel like I'm like a pretty atypical female. So... Um, <laughs> Like, I was competition rifle shooting at the age of 10, so, like... That's, that's, that's fair. Yeah. That's fair. Yeah. Okay, well, what was your female basic training experience like? I sang Eye of the like Tiger it? in my head for nine or ten weeks straight. Where, where did you do training at? Uh, Fort Sill, Oklahoma. Fort Sill. Mm -hmm. When did you go? Oh, July. Ooh, that's not a great time to be no, there. No, not really. Super hot, muggy. Very hot, uh, yes. But it's not cold, though, so... Right, which is fine. You don't get to skip all the, the ranges and all the PT and stuff, Kevin. Wherever he's at. Uh, so what was your, what was your favorite memory of, of training? Oh, I mean, it was just kind of... I just told myself, like, this is summer camp. You know, I'm having a great time. And that's just what I told myself through the whole training. And I just believed it. I mean, I don't know. I guess it's, it's kind of like I mean, summer it sucked, camp. it but, like... It's like Boy Scout camp, right? You shoot guns, you have snacks. Yes. Snacks are great. Yes. You don't sleep very much. Right. How did... Uh, brown bag lunch. Yeah, brown bag lunch with veal sandwiches and stuff, right? Uh, Sloppy Joe. What was the contrast between like your basic training and then your AIT? AIT was cake. That was, that was nice. Did you have drill sergeants there still? No. No? No. Medical training. When did you go through them? Uh, 2010. Oh, so they got, they're bringing them back. They took AIT drill sergeants out. They were bringing them back because they said millennials like need more discipline, like, whatever. I would wear civilian clothes under my uniform and go to final formation 
and I'd have a taxi waiting, and I would take a taxi off base, and I would take my uniform off in the taxi. I'd be in San Antonio just hanging out. How so, often did you get to do that? Every Friday. I picked the wrong say. job. <laughs> that sounds awesome. Uh, how long are you in? Uh, I'm still in, so how, seven years. Seven going. years. Mm -hmm. uh, you gonna do 20? Probably. 30? Oh, uh, yeah. No? Yeah, no, I mean, probably. Yeah? I, I'm pretty committed. I don't know though, there's this one now, so it changes things makes a little it bit. Yeah. It does make a difference. It makes a difference. Mm -hmm. Thanks so much, Suzanne. Appreciate it. Thanks so much. Have a great night. We'll see you.